Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I'm sitting up here because in a moment I'm going to invite my parents up. My mom and dad are in town, and uh, <clears throat> they're going to share some stuff with us this morning that's just going to be awesome. We're in a series called Navigating Relationships, and today I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to interview them about uh, marriage, about parenting, about dating, uh, and about singleness. So it touches every single person in here. Um, The principle we looked at in recent weeks, we're going to look at again, and it's number one. Every person is made in the image of God. Therefore, every interaction you have with others is a holy moment. And That principle is also why I'm so convinced that learning to walk in the presence of the Lord and learning to gaze upon him more will transform all our relationships because we will all of a sudden see them through the eyes of heaven. It just changes everything. We see people completely differently when we see them from the presence of God. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like there's new life, there's new power, there's new potential. So as far as it depends on us, we need to treat every interaction with every person as a holy moment. And Before I bring my parents up, I want to talk to some of the young people here. In Christ, you have a new relationship with your parents. Isn't that cool? Um, We have that as adults, too. We still have relationships with our parents. But when we're young, look at what this verse says, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. It's on screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So the Lord actually gives us in his word this first command with a promise, and it's about honoring our parents. And so if you're a young person, if you're 18 and under here, and you're still kind of under the covering of your parents in that sense, I encourage you, uh, obey them, um, honor them. Uh, They have your best interest at heart. Unless you're in an abusive scenario, and if you're in an abusive scenario, please come tell me after service. We want to to, uh, help you with that. But bringing honor to your parents, I try to coach my own kids. They're 14, 11, 8, and 5, and I, I try to tell them, hey, if you, if you really want to get the best out of me and your mom, honor us. You know what I mean? If you want to get your way more, honor us. If you want to get more of your requests, show us honor. I promise you'll get more. You parents know what I'm talking about? And I'm trying to coach them that on even their interactions with adults, you know, this these principles of respect and empathy and listening. Um, there's something to it. I think there's something to it in our adulthood too. You know, a lot of us in our adult years still have living parents. A lot of you guys still do. And I think, of course, we don't, we aren't called to obey them in the same sort of sense, uh, of course, but I think we still are meant to have a posture of honor towards them as much as it depends on us. It doesn't mean they, ha- they could have done a terrible job raising you. Um, they could have been really, really awful. And I know lots of, Lots of us have stories like that. But it is still, as far as it depends on us, we, we, we can bring honor towards them from our heart. We can still have healthy boundaries because I want this promise for you, that it may go well with you. <laughs> Anybody else want that? That it may go well with you. So my parents are gonna share some story about me in a few moments when I was a kid, if they share the same stories from first service. But let me, before we get into dating and, and, and marriage, number three in your notes, some men and women are called to singleness for the sake of the kingdom of God. Look what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them 
to stay unmarried as I do. And there's a sense throughout scripture that if you're called to singleness by the Lord, you can actually have more of a single-mindedness in your life in service to the Lord. And scripture affirms there's something really beautiful and powerful about that. And so I wanna say to all of you that are not married yet, um, marriage and parenting are not the fulfillment of life. It's not like that's the ultimate goal. And once you reach that, you are now a fulfilled person. The very one that we follow, the the son of the living God, Jesus Christ, um, who lived the most fulfilled and perfect life ever was a single man. So if you're worried right now that I'm talk, as I'm talking about singleness, that, oh no, I might be called to singleness. <laughs> um, I would say if that's what you're thinking, most likely you're not, is, is my, my take on it. Um, if you desire to be married, um, that's good. It, marriage is a good thing. He calls us to marry, be fruitful and multiply. But I just think sometimes... We talk about marriage and family so much and we celebrate it as we should that, that sometimes single people that are called to it can feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom and in the family of God. And it's not true. Anybody with me? It's not true. This is a call. So if that's you, uh, I encourage you to prayerfully explore that before the Lord. Um, I have known people and, and walked with and pastored people that have that call. And I've seen throughout church history and in scripture how God can use in extra extraordinary ways because of an increased amount of time and energy and availability, just quite practically, that that person can give to the Lord. Um, So I wanted to mention that. But for those of us that are single and want to be married, I say us, I'm married already. But for those of you that are single and want to be married, uh, it starts with this. In Christ, we have a new way of dating. And that's number four in your notes. And let's just look at God's vision for marriage. It's out of Mark 10. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So if the vision for marriage is that, it changes how we date. Um, I'll share a couple things. and, And actually, let me just invite my parents up now. If you guys could just give them a hand and welcome them up with me. This is my mom and dad. My mom, Dawn, and my dad, Charles Kolar. My mom is amazing, um, is to be given much credit for raising me and my brother and sister and surviving that madness, and my dad too. And um, they've been in ministry their whole lives. They've planted churches. They've done ministry in the military. They've done counseling work. They've, my mom's been a kids minister her whole life. She still is um, at my little brother's church in Pennsylvania. My dad just uh, retired, I mean, from being a full-time lead pastor, but he's not retired from knowing and following Jesus and fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Um, But they're here visiting, and I just thought it'd be great to interview them today. Um, And it might be kind of awkward to sit up here and talk with my parents about dating, because one of the things I want to say is, In dating, if you're someone who's dating right now, you're not meant to pretend like dating is a mini marriage, right? There are things reserved for marriage that are not for dating. Our culture has completely said it's insane to not live together before you're married. And I'm like, nope, don't live together before you're married. 
Um, and, and if you're doing that right now, I don't say this to condemn you. I, I, I'd be happy to chat with you about it, but I don't, I don't think it's healthy for you to enter and I don't think it's biblical. I don't think you, it's obedience before the Lord to act like you're married before you are. Part of the reason for that is sex. Sex is this wonderful gift from God that is designed for the context of marriage. I think of it like fire. Fire is a gift from God and it has great usefulness, but when it is outside of the context that it is created for, it is very destructive. So a fire in your home when it's in the fireplace is beautiful and brings warmth. A fire in your home when it's outside of your fireplace destroys your entire house and everything you own and can kill you. Sex is like that. (laughs) Sex is a wonderful gift from God, meant to be enjoyed in marriage, but when it's outside of the context that it was created for, it can destroy your life. It will hurt you. You will give yourself over to people you're not meant to give yourself over to. But sex in marriage is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And sadly, we have a lot of Christians that grow up in the church that once they do get to marriage, they've been told so long to stay away from sex that they're afraid of sex because it's so bad and gross and ugly. And I just wanna say, it's a wonderful gift. Here I am sitting with my parents talking about sex on stage. (laughs) This is weird. I'm not going to go into any other further descriptions, but <laughs> that affects dating. In Christ, you have a new way to date. And, and let me just open it up to my parents. We're not talking about sex anymore, so we've moved on from that topic. But uh, just talk to us about uh, dating and any stories you might have or wisdom. So I did grow up in the church, too, and I sat in seats like you're sitting in. So I'm talking to all of the teens right now and maybe even young adults who aren't married yet. And um, I remember thinking, oh man, I hope Jesus doesn't come back before I get married and have kids. I want so bad to have that, right? And uh, for me, it worked out. I don't know about you. (laughs) He might be coming back. He might be coming back. But I would just say that God protected me. You know, when I was dating, I knew, you know, that I was supposed to be set apart for what God wanted, and I believe he protected me. He helped me because I had a couple of times where I was like, "Mm," you know, and God protected me and helped me. And I would just want to encourage you, you know, the most important decision you can make as a young person, because I'm talking to you specifically right now, is that you will become a follower of Jesus, that you need him. As we've been talking all throughout this service, you need him. He's the only answer for the brokenness of your life, the brokenness. And so that decision to follow him and receive him as your Savior is the most important. The second most important decision you're ever going to make is who you're going to marry. And even as Pastor Nisa was just saying, what you're going to do leading up to that marriage while you're dating, to set yourself apart and, and pray and wait for the man that God has for you or the woman that God has for you, because that will change your life, who you're yoked to for the rest of your life. We've been married for over 44 years. So um, we've needed God all through that marriage. Let me tell you, it's not always up. It's downs. There are ups and downs all through life. Uh, but Jesus at the center of your marriage and being with someone who also loves Jesus and follows Jesus will make a world of difference for your life. So be very careful. Well, <clears throat> let's talk about sex for a moment. 
I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I will say, I will say one thing. Um, again, it's just as things are popping into my head, and, and, and same for Dawn. So I know that there are many of you here who have so much experience and wisdom and maturity in the Lord uh, that we'd love to have you up here and put the microphone in front of you and hear what you have to say. This is just our opportunity to do it, and hopefully something of value will come out. But one of the things that um, we didn't talk about this in the first service, but uh, the sense of uh, living together. And now, now Nathan and I both know, and Don, we both know that people are living together, and and that's happening both, I'm sure, in this church and our church back home in Pennsylvania, and everywhere. And of course, in our culture, uh, living together is assumed. You watch television shows, any television show, any movie. People are living together. Uh, marriage is, unless it's Hallmark. Hallmark is different. Yeah. But every, everything else, everything else, people are living together. And so culture has, has com completely given over to that. Uh, you're not going to see many other examples in our culture. So you have to really think whether or not the church is countercultural. You know, are we really different as followers of Christ? And as a counselor and as a therapist, as well as a pastor, I will tell you that um, statistics prove out and show quite, quite readily uh, that people who are living together, it's not saying it can't turn out wonderful for you, but statistically, it's not so good. Because you go into a relationship conditionally. Uh, you know, think about a first date. You, you're on, you go out to eat with someone and they got a piece of parsley on their tooth, or maybe they didn't quite wipe their nose, but you never want to see them again. I mean, the condition, the conditions are so uh, high, you know, to get past even a first encounter or a first conversation. So everything is conditional. We, we say, oh, love is unconditional, but in a relationship, everything is conditional. And so why do we live together? We're going to live together conditionally to see how that goes. And, uh, and so even folks who get married after living together for X amount of years, it's sometimes hard to change that mindset from conditional to unconditional, that we're in a covenant relationship uh, and that that covenant is what's going to hold us together bet between the Lord and between two individuals. And, uh, and so that's just something that, uh, you know, kind of popped into my head and something to think about uh, because our culture will definitely not tell you that. Uh, indeed, the, uh, the call of our culture right now is live together first. And most uh, parents will tell their children, uh, secular parents, live together first. You know, try each other out. You know, well, that is by nature conditional. How do you shift from that because you went up and said, I do? on a particular day. Or maybe you never even bother with that part. I'm not saying it can't work. Uh, I'm just saying statistically it works a lot less <laughs> than people who enter into a covenant relationship uh, because the covenant is what's going to get you through the challenging times and the struggles that you're going through. Uh, not necessarily perfectly understanding each other uh, and, and, per and being able to be perfectly forgiving or perfectly at peace in your relationship. Uh, but the covenant that you make uh, before the Lord, uh, not out of guilt, not out of, uh, you know, uh, out, out of some kind of, uh, uh, the word comes to my mind, some kind of bondage or, 
or a prison or something, but the freedom that comes with the covenant uh, to explore one another, love one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another, be at peace with one another. It's, uh, it's what Paul meant when he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, we find that in the Lord, and then we give that to one another in a relationship. I know I, I said something different in the first service. I don't remember what it was anymore. But. Uh, the, a few of the things, because he, he started dipping into marriage there, which is, was great. Um, but before we leave dating, my dad used to tell me when I was dating, uh, don't mess with God's daughters, which I remember really taking to heart. And it goes vice versa, too, you know, uh, don't mess with God's sons, right? And they said in first service something that's worth repeating, too. When If you're dating, um, again, you are discerning, is this the person that I'm going to become one with? And if not, it means they're going to be someone else's spouse in the future. So that's good to keep in mind when you're dating. Like, whoever you're sitting with and, and talking to or putting, you know, putting your arm around at the movie theater or whatever you might be doing, just remember, in the dating process, they're not yours yet, right? And the fact that they're not yours yet means that they will likely end up being someone else's. Um, so it's good things to keep in mind. I also think uh, we, we need more reverence for the word, I love you. I'm a big believer in if you're going to say I love you, go get married. Like it's time to propose. I mean, I'm the, I don't mean that as like a law. Like if you already say I love you to your boyfriend and girlfriend, I mean, I'm not saying you have to stop. But what that means, what to say I love you means I'm committed to you. you we're, we're now walking together, and it's not meant to be a conditional love. So on one hand, be wise and be slow about getting married. On the other hand, if you're adults, and if you sense God's blessing in the relationship and the wise counsel around you is, is giving you blessing, go get married. I'll do your ceremony next week. Like, and we said this in first service too, but there is no waiting for life to be perfect to get married. It's similar, to, similar with having kids. And we talked about how the adventure of it sometimes is being poor together, right? It's, it's a joy. We grow and we're strengthened together. So then we enter marriage and, uh, yeah, sure. That, that was good, but I could make it better. Um, <laughs> Uh, really, just, just, just one thing, and, and, and I, we did say it in the first service, and, and I, I think it's worth saying, um, and, and that is that we often advise uh, young people, young adults, really anyone, if you're single and you're not called to singleness, uh, that you're praying for your husband or you're praying for your wife. Uh, and keep that in mind as you're going out on a date or doing anything else. So if, if you're... When you pray for someone, I'm not talking about praying for a husband, praying for a wife. The Lord already knows who that's going to be. I'm saying praying for your husband. You're not married yet, but your husband <laughs> exists. It's not going to pop into existence when you meet him for the first time. You know, he's over in some, you know, California, I think I mentioned, or I think, I, I don't know if I said Wisconsin or Michigan, and I was trying to, I, somebody said, oh, I know that person. Um, <laughs> But, but in other words, he, he's there or, or she's there. You haven't met them yet. So be praying for them and keep yourself in a sense, right? It's so obvious you're, you're praying for your husband. You're praying for your wife. You don't know that person that you're kind of going out with, interested in, thinking about, is that person yet. So not only is that person potentially someone else's spouse, but 
you're praying for your spouse and you're, you're praying that, that they would get through the challenges that they're facing just as uh, you hope that they're praying that you're going to get through the challenges you're facing. And when we pray for people, that changes us. It changes how you're going to then act with whoever you're with right now because you're thinking of, of your husband or you're thinking of your wife. Does that make sense? Yes. So. That was pretty good, but I don't know if it topped what I shared before that. So we'll <laughs> Uh, number five, we're, we're going to talk about marriage. In Christ, you have a new relationship with your spouse. So um, don't, don't hit them right now, but how many wish they had a new relationship with their spouse? I, don't, I didn't say a new spouse, but a new relationship. And it's such a beautiful thing when we remember God is the guy who makes all things new. If you feel like you need a massive makeover, like he's in that business, right? So your marriage can be completely new. His mercies are new every morning to bring it home pretty deeply, your, your mercy for your spouse should be brand new today, right? If you want it, you should be willing to give it. There's so many things about this call, but can you speak to us just wisdom about marriage, maybe what you'd say to your younger selves, some lessons you've learned? So for me, I got married really young. I was 20, and he was 26 at the time, and um, I had pretty high expectations for marriage, even though I was young, and I actually really hadn't lived on my own much. So I, you know, lived with my parents who were godly people who loved Jesus. So I grew up really in the faith, went to Bible college, met him. And after he graduated there, we got married and we went across country um, to finish school. So we, we had that life that was very poor, <laughs> but we didn't care. We knew we were supposed to be with each other. And, uh, but boy, I had expectations that it was just going to be so wonderful and so perfect. And it really was wonderful in almost every way, but there were challenges too. Um, and so that was part of how God started really refining me because I was, I was really blessed up until that point in my life. So it was like, I had to learn how to live with somebody who, you know, when two become one, how many of you know there are challenges? We didn't have the same opinion about everything. Um, he wasn't doing everything the way I thought he was supposed to be doing things because I was a Christian a lot longer than him. And I was, I was a little prideful about that, you know. And so I, I kind of blew it in many ways. But I needed to trust the Lord. Uh, a funny example of that was we were both in Bible college. We both had jobs. We were both full-time students. And um, uh, we, it was a Sunday, and it was, you know, time to go to church. And we found a church near us, but it was really, really large. And I'm going to say that. <laughs> but every day we had chapel. So, you know, we, when you're in Bible college, there's a chapel service every day. So we were worshiping God every day, hearing the word every day. We were also studying the word. But I still felt like, well, we got to go to church on Sunday. I mean, that's what we do. And he was like, I don't feel like we need to. He says, we're, look how busy we are. And I was like, it was a, it was a catastrophe for me. I, I was like, oh, my goodness, who have I married? This man doesn't want to go to church. And he thinks he's going to be a pastor one day. I, actually, he didn't know he was going to be a pastor yet. So anyway, um, I had to trust God. You know, I had to learn to just go to the Lord with that expectation that was not being met. And there were more to come. And just trust the Holy Spirit, you know, like, with this man that I married, <laughs> like that he was a godly man, and he was. I mean, he actually, in his faith, was actually much more passionate about sharing faith than I was in a lot of ways, but I needed to 
I needed to adjust my thinking. So iron sharpens iron, the scripture says. And so you have lots of opportunities in your marriage, not only in your relationship with each other, to, to go to the Lord and depend upon the Lord. Don't run to somebody else and tell them what's going on in your marriage. Go to the Lord. You know, the Lord knows him. He knows you. And he's working through all these situations in your life. So go to Jesus. Go to him and trust him. And he has been so, so faithful. Um, and we did go to church for the rest of our lives. Don't worry about that. He, <laughs> he figured it out. <laughs> well, you know, again, that, that was a, uh, I guess, a, a crisis of sorts. We had others yes. as well, and uh, as anyone who's been uh, uh, married would know. Now, what, what Pastor Nathan didn't tell you is that I've been married five times, so sometimes they don't. All to the same woman, but five times. And at the point, I'm, some of you held your breath for a moment. I could hear. Yeah, all to, all to dawn, but really, and it could be more than that, but we've definitely had about five marriages at this point. I mean, there was maybe, maybe more, maybe less. Maybe she wants me to stop talking. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we had, the, we had the, the dating and then, and then the, the you know, young adult honeymoon stage and all the rest of that, and those are, are great memories. Then uh, Nathan came along, and life ended. Uh, <laughs> you have you have your, you have your first child, and they don't go away. They give him to you in the hospital. I was amazed. They they put him in my arms. They said, "Take him home." I said, "I didn't know I had to take him home," and uh, and then they don't leave. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm teasing. I'm just saying it's a very different marriage now, isn't it? And, and not everyone realizes, okay, we're going to shift gears now. And then, of course, then came his brother and then his sister. And, um, and, and life moves on. And then I'm not going to go through all of this, but you can imagine uh, marriage is, uh, is an evolving process. Uh, and life is a part of the teaching and training that we're going through. So all of you who are married... Uh, since we kind of addressed singleness a little bit and dating a little bit, but those of you who are married right now, you're in some kind of stage, right? And, and, and that's okay. Uh, if things are a little different in your marriage now than they were at another time, well, okay, learn the lessons of this stage. Uh, and then, there'll, there'll, Lord willing, should we live long enough, there's another one still coming until we go home and be with the Lord. But every stage in marriage uh, has its lessons to learn. Did we get to that? Or did you want me to talk about that? Oh, okay. Well, this is more of a counseling thing. Actually, Nathan, Pastor Nathan said it this morning, and then I kind of jumped in because I was remembering it. But something that we've talked about uh, quite a bit is what we call it the ABCs of marriage. And I've taught it so many times to so many young couples that it's kind of ingrained into my DNA. Uh, so, well, I'll share it with you real, real quick. And, uh, and for those of you who are married or thinking about getting married, these ABCs are, are uh, quite worthwhile, I think. And the first is the most important, and that's accept responsibility for your own happiness. And I know that sounds selfish, but um, if, you know, your spouse is not the person who's supposed to make you happy. We already talked about godliness with contentment. Uh, is, is really the key in life. 
Uh, but if your spouse, if you're looking to a, another human being to make you happy, then of course that human being can remove your happiness. Uh, so accept responsibility for your own happiness. You're responsible to be at peace in the Lord, to walk at peace in Christ, and then to share that peace with your spouse and then together with the, with the world that you're, that you're living through in one stage or another. Uh, and so I'm responsible, uh, and it doesn't mean I'm going to have moments where uh, I don't feel like I'm holding Dawn responsible, or she doesn't feel like she's holding me responsible for her happiness, but then we notice what we're doing. You, you see what I'm saying? There's kind of a template there. You, 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 you realize what you're doing, and then you can come back to the Lord together and, uh, and move forward. Uh, B is become a serious student of your mate. Uh, become a serious student of your mate sounds obvious, but when Dawn and I were dating, you know, dating is so conditional, uh, as I've said, that you don't always see things uh, that you're, you know, that are going to become serious a little bit later. And so, uh, you're, you, thankfully, the Lord, Lord doesn't throw that all on us at one time, you know, but bit by bit, there's going to be more and more. So, what I suggest is that we really try to uh, you know, ask your spouse a lot of questions. You know, how did how did they grow up? What did what were their expectations? Or just becoming a serious student of who she is or who he is, uh, and knowing that you still have a lot to learn, and that becomes a priority for you to learn those things. Does that make sense? And then the C is create a growing intimacy uh, between the two of you. Life has a way of either destroying intimacy or helping you with intimacy. Uh, and by intimacy, uh, uh, obviously, that's also that can be physical, but it's also emotional and social. How you deal with life together, intellectual, uh, relational, spiritual—all of these things uh, have to do with in intimacy. And some of you have probably heard the, someone say, you know, intimacy meaning into me you see. So you're going to see into me, and Dawn's going to see into me. I'm seeing more into her. We're growing in this way and in these uh, different areas. And I would often say to young people when I'm doing counseling or, or premarital counseling or something, maybe put it on a scale, on a scale of one to ten. Where would you be today? And uh, and you'd be you wouldn't be telling the truth if you said a ten, especially uh, if you. Now, of course, young people who aren't married yet, they they know everything, and that's why you have that's why you have conversations like this. Uh, so, you know, if it's a scale of one or two or three, okay, well, wh what would a four look like? Not a, what would a ten? You can't even imagine a ten yet. <laughs> what would the next number look like? And then work towards that a little bit, uh, you know, in your relationship. So those are the, the ABCs. That's great. And that, that A in the ABCs of marriage applies a lot to dating as well. Um, you're not looking to date someone that is going to, make and keep you happy or fulfilled. And the best thing you can do when dating to prepare for marriage, and it's the same thing we have to do in marriage, is keep focusing on wholeness before the Lord in and of yourself. It's a little stereotypical, but you know it's been said, um, a healthy marriage is not two people at 50% coming together to make 100%. It's two people at 100% coming together to be one. Right? It's a totally different perspective on the role of your spouse in your life. That was great. Um, I love what you said, learn the lessons of this stage. We've got so many stages of marriages represented right in here uh, today. Let's transition into parenting, and this is what we'll close with. 
But I want to read two scriptures. And the principle is this. In Christ, you have a new relationship with your kids. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And then Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, and I believe mothers too, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Can you guys talk to us about some lessons in parenting? Um, maybe how you'd encourage some young parents, uh, how you can walk in newness of life with your own kids, things like that. So I would say with parenting, um, as you know, Charles already said, it's a whole new ball game when you start having kids. But you know, there's no one right way to parent. Um, and so the two of you, God brought you two together, a husband and a wife, and you are uniquely created to raise your kids. And so he knows them, he knows their personalities, and your job is to kind of study them as well. Like we talked about studying your mate, you're kind of, as your kids are growing, you're learning who they are, what their personalities are, how to respond to them, what works best. And of course, the Holy Spirit is your counselor. He is your best friend through this process. And, you know, I know that there are many times where I did not do that right. You know, I was trying to just figure it out on my own. This is what we should do. And we had differences of opinion at times on what, how we should parent and I would just encourage you to listen to each other. Just listen because we are, you know, like I said, God put two of you together for your kids. And if you're different in your personalities and in your opinions, as you bring them together, you listen and learn from both and you together, you know, have the Holy Spirit's help to raise your children and to, and to point them to Christ. And there's no really one perfect way to do that. I used to think there was like, oh, we better have a devotional time every day. I can do it, do it the way my parents did it, you know, and not that wasn't the way Charles was going to do it. <laughs> and he was so good at along the way, like when something would happen with the kids, like just sit and talk about it, you know, and you, you have, you're building a relationship with your children. So remember that relationship with them is so pivotal. If you, if you break the relationship and you can't, they feel like you're not listening and vice versa, you're not going to have an ability to talk. Um, I learned one lesson through Nathan, a couple of things. When he was really little, he was very strong-willed. He was our first, and he was very strong-willed. And I, I thought, why isn't our kid listening to us? You know? and, uh, and he did. Not, he didn't always not listen, but he was strong-willed. And as, a, as he grew, I realized God created him to be a leader. One of his gifts is leadership. And so he was trying to lead as a toddler. He was trying to lead as a kid. And so when you recognize that, when you see something in your kids, it's not just always about obstinate disobedience. There's, there's, they're created in a certain way. And God's, you need, to, you need to help them understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and then help with the Holy Spirit's help to channel that and, and to put it under the submission of God. Um, Nathan also is very creative, and I am not creative at all. All the rest of my family, they all have this musical talent. He also has graphic arts talents, and I didn't have that. And I, I didn't understand sometimes why his room the way it was. You know, he hung up really crazy things on his walls, like little Debbie snacks, you know. Like he hung the box on his wall, you know. <laughs> and not just one, not just one napkins and all sorts of things. And I was like, what's going on in here, you know? And so one day, you know, it was kind of messy in there. He's like, Mom, that's a project over there. That's a project. I work best with all my projects around me. And it, and it, it kind of helped me understand that he was wired very differently than I am. Um, he, he's pretty orderly now. But 
I needed to, I, I needed to realize that there, he was his own person. I didn't need to make him into this mold that I thought he should be. So I just said, okay, we'll just keep the door closed. <laughs> I won't have to see it, you know, and it'll be fine. Um, but, you know, just understanding who they are, taking personality tests, even when your children are young, you can do personality tests that will help you, you know, understand whether they're introverted or extroverted and, and you know, what their giftings are. Help them, encourage them in their strengths because they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. Don't freak out. We all have weaknesses, right? If you have weaknesses, which I know you and I do, they're blind to us sometimes, but that's where humility is so important in parenting, and I know Charles is going to talk about the difference between training and mentoring or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and, and uh, I mean, when we talk about personality types, um, you know, we're all obviously very different and unique and experiences as well. Dawn's experience growing up was so different than mine. I didn't come to know Christ till I was almost 23 years old. I was about 23. So very, she came, grew up in a, in a pastor's uh, family and household and, and all of that comes with that. And so, you know, so you have different personalities and you have different experiences. You throw that all together and you think it's supposed to just work, uh, but it can be very, very challenging. Uh, she mentioned introversion and extroversion. And Dawn, introverts tend to, you know, work things out inside their own minds. They're, they're, they're talking it through, thinking it through. Or extroverts tend to say things out loud so they can think about those things, you know. Um, and they're energized by the things that are going on outside of them. And I'm more extroverted. Dawn was more introverted. So we had to learn uh, that. Um, my... Uh, you know, we have we have uh, people who are very good at finishing. They they love to they think things that are unfinished kind of bother them. They want to get that done. But you have others who are starters, visionaries. Nathan was more of the visionary starter type. He was always starting as he had a lot of projects going on all the time. Uh, and uh, both of us are more a little bit more finishers. Uh, so you want to have a, a nice balance, and you have it in your home, you have it in your family, you have it in business, you have it in the church. Uh, and of course, and the giftings of the spirit all operate in this way through our who we are and our personalities. Um, so there's this developmental process. And Don mentioned, and I guess I go have another minute to mention the thing about we talked about stages, but there's certainly a stage in parenting. I think most of you who have children probably know this. You've either run into it like running straight into a wall, or or you sorted it out before you got there and it hasn't been too much of a problem. But um, how we raise children and how we raise teenagers are two dr dramatically different things. Uh, children up through about age 10, 11, maybe 12, 12 is that transitioning time. Uh, children you tend to uh, protect more of course, especially when they're little. Um, you, you order your life a little bit more around them. And as they're old enough to understand these things, you have, we don't call, we don't maybe use these words, but you have stop behaviors, thing you want, things you want them to stop doing. Uh, and you have start behaviors, things you want them to learn how to do. However you may phrase it, uh, you're doing something like that with children. And so parents will do, some homes will have like a ticket economy where you can earn X amount of tickets if you've done this and this and this way. You're training them to do certain things. 
uh, and the stop behaviors, uh, you know, would be things that are unkind or mean-spirited or hitting or, uh, you know, and you want them to stop doing that. And so you don't, you want, want to be careful how you do it, but you, you have means of, of doing that, uh, maybe separation from the rest of the family or for, for you know, a moment or, I don't know, I'm not going to get into that. It sounds, it sounds awful, but, you know, I, some, <laughs> some, some parents will take, you got to be careful because you, you can get angry too and you come in, they've, they've earned 100 tickets and you come, they do something wrong and you grab all those tickets back. You know, so parents, parents can be a big part of the problem because you have that power. You have a great deal of power. Well, by the way, none of that works with teenagers. None of it. Uh, you know, by the time they're 12 or 13, uh, you know, just trying to teach them new things or, or get them to stop doing things uh, and creating that ordered world for them uh, really isn't going to work. At that point, you're trying to release them more into this world, prepare them to be released into the world that we have, the challenges that we face in this world. And so, do I have time to talk about what the conversation I typically have? Uh, I had it with you when you were about 13, and I had it with my other son and, my, and my, my daughter, and I've taught a lot of parents to have a conversation, something like this, uh, when a child's about 12. You can do it as part of a ceremony, or you can just sit down and talk. Uh, you can do it together, uh, you know, or if you're a single parent, you just, just it's a conversation that needs to happen, and not just once, it needs to happen a lot of times, but you usually start it about age 12 or so, 12, 13. And it's something like, you know, from this point on, you know, you're, we're going to, we, I'll say we, because it was husband and wife doing, you know, we're going to be giving you more and more freedom. You'll have more freedom at 13, you'll have more freedom at 14, you'll have more freedom at 15, more freedom. At, in fact, by age 16 or so, we hope that you'll be totally emancipated, young adults, and know how to live your life. You could still be with us for a few more years, whatever it takes, but you're, you're thinking things through and you're making decisions and you kind of fall back on us if you need to talk to someone and, and work things through. But our goal is for you to be emancipated as adults. Our goal is for you to succeed, not to control, not start, not stop, none of that stuff, but to help you move forward. So this is a conversation, but then there's the crux of the conversation is with, now along with this freedom, there's one thing that we have to tell you and that is you can take advantage of that freedom. Uh, we're not going to take it back. We're not going to go back to childhood. We can't go backwards. So yes, you can take advantage of that freedom and you're going to still have those freedoms uh, age appropriately. Um, but if you do take advantage of that freedom, there's one thing we can't fix. There's one thing we can't help you with and that is uh, you're going to become the kind of person that takes advantage of freedom. Instead of becoming the kind of person who wants to live up to it and take on new responsibilities and new challenges and move forward, which is the kind of person we want you to be, you're going to become the kind of person who becomes a little sneakier or a little, you know, and trying to get away with this or get away with that and you're taking advantage of it. Uh, and I can't fix that and your mom can't fix it. You're going to become one person or another. We're all becoming something. Now, we'll pray with you and we'll help you with it, but you just need to know that that's happening. So something like that conversation uh, was something I had quite often with my children. We had with them. And, um, um, and I did say this in the first service, and I'll mention it again here. 
uh, that uh, women tend to do, and this going to sound maybe, I don't know if everyone will even agree with this, but women tend to do a lion's share of what's happening uh, from birth till about uh, age 12 or so. And so quite often, women, mothers, won't shift gears with teenagers, uh, especially teenage girls. <laughs> and so there can be a real budding of heads and a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing, because you now have a teenage girl or a young boy that you can't, you can't, you're not just stopping them from doing things or, or, or telling them what to do. Anyhow, uh, so it, it really helps for, especially for women and, and, and men as well, of course, that we stop and think that what we're doing with uh, teenagers is so dramatically different than, than how we raise uh, children. And, uh, and just stop long enough and say, okay, everything I was doing, um, especially if you're the mom, but you know everything you were doing now that that has that's done that stage is over. How do we now work with young adults? How do we mentor them? That's what Dawn was saying. Mentoring. You're moving now into a mentoring relationship, supporting them one step after another after another. How can we help you get where you want to go? How can we work with you? And that conversation is uh, very important. I had the conversation quite often. Dawn demonstrated the conversation by the life she lived and had it as well. I probably talked it more extroverted. Don lives it. And so, um, anyhow, does that make sense? Okay. Yep. It all rings very true. Is very much how they brought us up. And what I'd like to do to close is um, have my mom pray over you guys and the worship team. You guys can come on up. Um, and then we're going to quickly do our offering and a few announcements and a benediction. But can we stand together? Mom, if you could just pray for us, and then we'll wrap up. Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that you have given us uh, as our counselor and as our guide. And we, Lord, we invite you to, to guide us, just as we've been talking throughout this whole service. Guide us, Lord. We pray over um, young people this morning who are dating and thinking about dating God, that you would guide and direct them, that you would help them to surrender um, their lives to you, Lord, and realize that your way is the best way and give them the power and the courage, Lord, to stand for that way and to listen to your voice as you guide and direct them in their lives. For young people that are, are still single, God, we pray for you to guide and direct them, Lord, into what you have for them, the, the partner that you have prepared for them if they're not called to singleness. And Lord, I pray over, over marriages today, Lord, I pray over uh, just wholeness. I pray for healthiness in our marriages, Lord, that we would seek you first, that we would find our, our, our peace in you, our rest in you as we surrender to you, and that will bring life to our marriages, Lord. We pray over our parenting as well, God. You know that the parents need your strength and your guidance. And God, I pray that we would all walk together in humility because in humility there is safety. We want your safety, want your presence in the center of our homes, our marriages, our lives, our parenting. God, we invite you to do that in us. Transform us into your image that we would honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we uh, say thanks to my mom and dad for sharing with us today? Love you. Thank you. We're going to sing this chorus in a moment. Could, could our ushers come forward? Um, we're doing our offering at the end now. If anyone would like to give, um, we, we will pray that God blesses it and uses it to build his kingdom. Much of our church gives online. 
Um, I've heard a lot of testimonies about giving recently because we taught about tithing and generosity, and uh, I pray that you can step into peace and, and what God has for you, how to approach finances. But uh, Fall Festival is this upcoming Saturday. Uh, if you're not signed up to help out yet, we've already got um, right around 400 people pre-registered, and the ad's only been out for three days. So it's going to be large. I don't know how many will show up. We've had seven, 800 uh, recently, but it might go larger. So in all to say, all to say, we need you to sign up to help us serve our city well. Anybody with me? So if you're not signed up yet, um, put your name on the little sign up out there or talk to Heather or myself, or I think Bethany's out of town this week. But um, also we are taking right around 20 students so far to youth convention, uh, which is amazing. And uh, it's over at Opryland Hotel. And some of them need sponsorships. If any of you would like to help some of those students go that can't fully afford it. And I'm just going to tell you this, be really upfront. We're going to pay for them anyway. We're, there's no way we're not going to let a student go because they can't afford it. But if any of you would be willing to help us by sponsoring some of them, you can give towards that. It's 165 per student. That covers their hotel stay, their food, their travel, their ticket for the event. This is a life-changing event. So we're really excited about what God's going to do there. Uh, let me know if you want to do that. You can just give and market towards youth convention and we'll make sure it gets to them. Um, but I'm going to pray for this tithe and offering. We'll sing this chorus. Lord, thank you. For I thank you for my mom and dad. What a gift. Thank you for all the moms and dads here. I thank you for the couples. The, thank you for the, the, parent, um, the parents of kids, and I thank you for the kids of parents. Thank you for those that are single, that are seeking you about their life and what you have for them. We just trust you with these things. Bless this tithe and offering today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to connect, there's information on the back of the welcome card, some QR codes, also for the pre-registration for the fall festival, youth convention information. Also, number seven in your notes for my OCD friends um, is, did you guys pass the baskets yet? Go ahead and pass. We did? Okay. Um, number seven is, in Christ, all things are made new. I'm trying to see who's writing. I'm going to pray for you. Um, I know we went a little over time today. If I could just let you know... Um, in our decision to want to just be open to the Lord and Him moving in our midst, um, we're still going to very much honor your time, um, always. But I also want to let you know, I very much in my heart before God and our team and our leadership are saying, Lord, um, we're not going to constrain the gathering in the house of God and the equipping of the people of God to an hour and five minutes. I mean, we're probably still going to land there quite a bit. I mean, that's how we're going to order our service. So we're not changing our service times or our start times. But we went over today, and it's probably because I sat here and cried for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? And so it just happens. And we just are like, want to be available to what God wants to do. Though I don't plan on just publicly weeping every Sunday. That's not my goal. <laughs> Next Sunday, um, we do have a guest speaker that's been planned for a while. And he specifically speaks... Um, all over the world for, for decades now on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he's someone that God has used, incredibly powerful. I, I want to ask you to come uh, with expectancy next week, at the day after our fall festival. Like, don't just take off because we just had a fall festival. Come with expectancy. Um, and those of you guys that, that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, come ready to minister to people. Um, for those of you guys who are curious about that, you're going to hear um, a really gifted teacher about it. It's, and it's in a very non-hype way, and it's in an invitational to God way. It's going to be beautiful. So I want to let you know about that. And let me just pray this benediction. Lord, your blessing on every person, your peace, I pray. Um, in every relationship, I pray there'll be just profound hope, peace, and restoration in Jesus' name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.